You're listening to the Coaching Your Family Relationships Podcast, Episode 85, Loving Yourself Takes Courage, with Brent Bartell. Welcome to the Coaching Your Family Relationships Podcast. I'm Certified Family Relationship Coach, Tina Gosney. I won't tell you how to fix or change your family members, but you will learn some very vital relationship tools here. Even more important, I'll show you how you can affect positive changes in your family by creating more confidence and trust in yourself, developing emotional resilience, and finding peace in the middle of hard circumstances. If you're ready for that, join me inside. Thank you for following along with this series. I'm having a lot of fun putting all these episodes together for you, this Know, Love, and Grow series. I want to remind you that there are two downloads available to you right now, and you can begin to use them to apply this Know, Love, Grow model to yourself. The links are in the show notes. The one for January is still available. It's 30 journaling questions that you can start to do to get to know yourself better. And February is called Combating Shame. I know that's a hard a hard title to listen to, but that's what it's called because when we start knowing who we are and uncovering pieces of ourself and try to love them, it can cause shame. And that's an easy place for us to go. So that's why I'm providing that worksheet for you this month. So go into the show notes, download both of them, and um, yeah, just start using them. So today's episode with Brent might seem a little more like it fits into the growth category than the love category. And we do talk a lot about growth, but we talk about really the mindset that helps us to get to a growth place and how we can tolerate the difficulties that we encounter because we're willing to take this growth journey. Did you ever sign your child up for piano lessons? Why did you do that? Did you want to torture them or did you have dreams of them learning this great skill that would be a strength for years in their life and you just loved them and wanted that for them? My guess is the latter. You invested in piano lessons for your child because you love them and you wanted to provide opportunities for them to grow in that way. If you did go through that experience with your child, most likely this is what you encountered some great, exciting times, and also some tears, some tantrums, and some oppositional behavior in them as those lessons and the material became harder and more challenging. This happens to every student at one time or another. And this is what also happens with us as we try to grow ourselves and promote change within our own lives. We also have tears, lots of tears, We have adult-type temper tantrums, and we can get a little obstinate when we're faced with hard things that will grow us. But the challenge is to keep loving ourselves enough to keep going and working through all of that and loving ourselves through the process. Now, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Brent. I have some comments for you on the other side, so I'll see you there. I want to welcome Brent Bartell back to the podcast today. He did, we did a whole series at the end of last year, end of 2022 on Stephen Covey's Pyramid of Influence, 
which was quite a hefty feat, Brent. It was really great. I really loved it. And I know there's a lot of people that have gotten quite a bit of value from those conversations that we have. So I want to welcome you back today. Yeah. Thank you, Tina. I'm really excited to be here. I got to say, honestly, you're one of my favorite people to have a conversation with. So. Oh, that's nice. I like I'm honestly thrilled to be back. And, and I got, I'm sorry. I got to say though, Hey, if any of your listeners got through all, what it was like six hours of the pyramid of influence. Yeah. Six hours. So, yeah. Um, have them email me. I'll send them a participation ribbon or something. because That's <laughs> a heavy lift. We definitely sure. need a prize for getting through all of our yeah. conversation, right? I, I don't yeah. know if anybody else likes to hear our conversations as much as we like to have them, but if they don't, they'll click past this episode. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We'll have fun either way. We will. I threw this quote at Brent and I wanted to have a conversation about this because I think he has a lot of good things to say here. And this is a quote from Jennifer Finlayson Fife. And she said, it's a moral act to love ourselves. Loving yourself is not about feeling good about yourself so much as it is about accepting yourself and investing in your own growth and development. It's about doing hard things for the benefit of your development, just as you would do hard things for the benefit of your child's development. And that's what love is. It takes courage because there aren't guarantees. When I heard that quote, I I just wrote it down. And I was thinking this, in a nutshell, has so many gems in it that we could do many podcast episodes, but we're going to keep this one to less than an hour. And we're going to pull this po- this quote apart today, but we're also going to do it in terms of loving ourselves, accepting where we are. What are we really after in this world? How do we get there? Those are some of the questions we're going to explore today. Brent, what are your thoughts about just before we start, anything you want to say? Um, Yeah, I think, I think it's a great quote. And I think it sort of apprehends a whole lot of things that we could discuss. You know, as we were talking earlier, I think so much life is kind of just about, well, I want to be happy. And how do I get to be happy? And what does that mean? And for so many of us, that seems to be a little elusive. And I think the companion to that is I need to change. And perhaps I recognize I need to change. Or perhaps others suggest to me that I need to change. And Change is not an easy thing. So how is it that we can, one, recognize our own need to change, to be inspired, if not motivated, to make those changes, and then to try to enjoy and even tolerate the journey to change and be able to celebrate? Because honestly, we change is the constant, right? Like they say, what is it? Taxes and death mm-hmm. and change. I suppose if we had a, if, if I had to describe mortality in one word, it would just be change. I mean, that's what it is. Right. And it's a function of do we do we take responsibility for the change? Because change will happen to us, whether we want it to or not. But we can direct the change. And I think that kind of gets to the heart of that quote. So I think there's a lot to unpack, for sure. And I want to focus on how loving ourselves is what promotes that change. It's it's what gets us past that innate desire that we have to not change, 
to keep things the same, to keep habits that maybe are not the best for us. Um, just the the resistance that we have for ourselves when we know we need to change, but it's hard. And so then we resist it. And yeah. we, we just say, yeah, I don't want to do that because I can't. Um, yeah. But how is how is loving ourselves a moral act? How is it accepting ourselves and investing in our own growth and development something that we might want to be doing? There's some biological things that work against us when we are, first of all, trying to love and accept ourselves. And especially when we're trying to do that for our own growth and development. And motivational triad is something that I talk about quite often with my clients. So our brain really wants to do three things. It's really, this is our primitive brain really programmed into doing those, those three things of seeking pleasure, avoiding pain, making things as easy as possible, conserving energy. And when we look at change, it directly goes against all three of those things. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think some of our innate sort of preferences and tendencies, like you said, and even the way that we are wired. And a lot of this wiring, I mean, some some anthropologists, um, evolutionary biologists suggest that, look, our brain has changed very little over, say, the last 50,000 years, maybe 10%. So we have a lot of kind of old school wiring and, and trying to be able to navigate a very modern and extremely sophisticated and complex world sometimes with that wiring can be really difficult. Sometimes it sort of opposes some of our our, our higher inclinations. Um, Yeah, it is interesting, you know, connected to that motivational triad. I love that model. I think it's really explanatory. But um, we do have a negativity bias because your brain wants you to survive. And that's what it does. It wants us to survive and be able to perpetuate the species. And so... For whatever reason, um, that becomes very protective because we're not being chased by bears and things like that, but we're acutely aware of danger. And danger used to look like we can't get shelter, you know, and the storm's approaching. And now it's like, I can't believe my coworker looked at me that way. Or I can't believe my spouse used that tone of voice. Uh All kinds of other things. And, you know, it rises within us the same kind of response, you know. Very different set of challenges and circumstances. So I think this negative bias, we really have to consider that. Um, who was it? Um, Rick Hansen. I like his work. He's a psychologist. But he said the brain is like Velcro for bad experiences, and it's like Teflon for good experiences. And so we often, you know, it's it's hard sometimes to remember the good stuff. And we do focus on the bad stuff. And... You're right. We really want to be comfortable and conserve energy. And I think the heart of this, and maybe we'll touch on this a little later in the conversation, is some conversation about patterns, mental patterns, behavioral patterns, habits, because habits are a form of, you know, conserving energy because my brain doesn't have to think too much. I'm habituated towards a certain way of thinking or behaving, and I know how to do it. So it conserves energy and it becomes easy. 
So we develop these habits. Sometimes we groove these habits very deeply. It's kind of like we make our habits and then our habits make us. And then so often where I think we're confronted with change, um, that internal sense that there is more and, and we do need to change in certain ways, we do fight against habit and certain ways of being that have become very comfortable and very deeply patterned within us. And, and that's not easy. Right. You know, as you're talking about negativity bias, in coaching, we have this thing called the 50-50, where it's just the balance of life. We sh- we have half positive, half negative, or half we want and half we don't want. It, and we just right. see the same thing in nature, right? Nature is has a right. balance. But I heard once it's actually not really 50-50. We just say that because it's something that sounds good and that helps us to, to kind of get this concept. But if we actually saw things the way that they were without our negativity bias, it would be more like 70-30 or maybe even 80-20. If we could get past this negativity bias, there's actually much less negative than we see and more positive than we see. But we're just, our brains are just not programmed to see them. And that if we could see things as they really are, we would really see there is actually much more good than there is bad. Yeah, I love that. I think that gets to some really profound kind of seedbed kind of issues that sort of undergird and overarch change. And part of that is just perception, like you said. I think one of the greatest things that Stephen Covey, and obviously I'm I'm a great devotee, um, his work has changed my life. But one of the greatest things he said, and I don't even know if it was original to Stephen, but he said, you know, we do not see the world as it is we see the world as we are. So he would suggest that the key to objectivity, recognizing things as they really are, is my ability to recognize my own subjectivity. And that may be a little difficult to sort out, but it's just recognizing I don't see the world as it is. I see the world as I am. It's interesting that Barbara Fredrickson, who is a positive psychologist, she's a professor of psychology, She's written a book called Love 2.0, but prior to that, she wrote a book called Positivity. And this has been borne out through multiple studies that that in order to be happy, and we kind of set that stage early, that we want to be happy, we want to be able to change, um, that we need a minimum of three to one. And she posited positive emotions to negative emotions. And it's really interesting. There's a whole book on it. And, and how they how they came to these conclusions and things like that. Negative emotions have more amplitude. They absolutely do. And with that negative bias, they take on greater importance and sort of real estate and relevance in our brain. Um, but she suggests that if we are less than three to one, well, she does suggest, let me back this up a little bit, that People that are happy are almost always happy by certain metrics and certain ways to measure happiness, okay? I know that's a relative term too, but she suggests that they are a minimum of three to one, positive to negative kind of emotions. I've heard other positive psychologists reference that and even thoughts, but let's just stick with emotions for right now. He said that for a two to one, positive to negative, he said we language. That would be we grow weak, feeble, lack vitality, that kind of thing. 
And she says people that have a one-to-one ratio of kind of negative to positive sort of emotions are almost always depressed and deal with, you know, challenging levels of depression and other kind of debilitating um, challenges based on that. So I just, I just think that's really interesting and it kind of corroborates what you're seeing. Um, let me just add one more thing. Can I do that? There's a guy, I'm going to name drop a little bit. I don't know any of these people, but I really appreciate their work. I like the positive psychology field. I think it's really fascinating. You know, for forever, psychology was all about sort of dysfunction and how we get people that are sort of in a place of dysfunction up to baseline, you know, functioning. Right. And positive psychology just came on the scene some decades ago. And it looks very different. How do we take people essentially from kind of baseline to fulfillment? to actualization, you know, to happiness, to contentment, all that kind of thing. And how do we measure that? Those sorts of things. But anyway, Sean Aker's in that space. And I love the metaphor he uses. He talks about our perception, um, like you said, and I, and I do think it connects to self-love and change in really important ways. But he said, this isn't about positive thinking or optimism. It's a matter of doing things that enable us to see our situation from a different, more empowering perspective. And he uses metaphor of maps and Stephen Covey uses the metaphor of maps and it's pretty common, but he talks about that our brains are not like cameras. Sometimes we just think we're just clicking pictures or we're taking the videotape and we're recording reality as it happens. That is the first fatal mistake that we make because we just absolutely don't. He said, our brains are far more like a map and we get bits and pieces of information and our brain interpolates this stuff. And then it creates a map of the terrain. And often it's based on just tiny little bits of information. He points out, and I've read this in other studies too, and I think this is fascinating, that at any given second, your brain receives up to 11 million bits of information per second. I mean, imagine that. I'm not sure who counted all those, but (laughs) but bless them for the work. So um, 11 million bits of information per second is what we are bombarded with. Our brain is able to process 40 bits of information per second. We can take the tiniest fraction of what we see, what we smell, what we hear, what we sense. And that looks like reality to us. So his point is that it's not like taking a picture. Our minds are building these maps. And it's a map of reality. Um, and it's and it's the map, like I said, is based on just a very, very few facts about the world. And I think the really liberating part of this, Tina, is that our brains can construct all kinds of different maps. They can be equally valid. We can look at the territory in lots of different ways, and that's where it comes to perception. And I think seeing things through a lens of self-love. And we'll talk more about this, but self-development and evolution and improvement and progress, that's a different map. Or that's that's a different way of, of looking at the map. And so the territory will look different to me if I see with that map. And I don't know if I'm making a lot of sense there, but but I think it's just this matter of being able to kind of recognize this and then select the most powerful kind of helpful valid positive way to look at reality recognizing that we construct the map 
We really do. And we have so much more choice. And there's, it's a really empowering kind of perspective when you consider it. I am not just subject to what is happening out there. I am creating my reality in yes. very profound ways. Um, so it's really about what is, what is my most valuable, valid reality? And do I really have the prerogative and the capacity to create that for myself? And I think that, like I said, that is so foundational to change. Um, the kind of change that sustains us in really beautiful ways. I think I, I I do get what you're saying. And if I could just, let me sum it up and you can tell me if I'm on the right track. <laughs> Please do. Please translate it. Yeah. <laughs> Brent's a wordsmith. We all love his his language. It's awesome. But sometimes you just need a little bit of translation once in a while. Yeah. But you can tell me if I'm translating correctly, Brent. It sounds like we get to choose the way that we are seeing our own life. The way that we frame our own life determines our experience of it. And we can either choose to see it as a, a destination, not, oh, it's more of a journey, not a destination, but more of like a journey. Like I'm on this earth in a journey going towards this place of growth for myself and learning and developing as I go along these experiences, or I can choose to not see it in that way and see it in a different way, which I mean, there's probably, you know, countless number of different ways that we could see it, but a common one would be to say, this is not how my life was supposed to go. I don't like this. The people in my life are not supposed to do this. This was not supposed to happen to me. And we call that fighting against reality. Yes. So as we accept the things that are happening in our life and the way that we are, that is our way, that's our path to to growth and to development as we're on this earth. Did yeah. I did I sum that up okay? Yeah, yeah, even better than I did. Yeah, you have a knack of doing that, but um absolutely. And I think that's the point. And I just Honestly, like I just get really intrinsically excited when I just think about that notion that we have that much power. And so often we feel that we're victims of the story or the narrative. And in reality, you know, we can create it. It gets into something I may have touched on it in the many hours that we were together. Um, but I, I, I'm fascinated by the reticular activating system. And, and, you know, we don't want to go neck deep into brain science, but it's interesting that reticular is kind of this net net light. And we teach our brains what to look for. So if my narrative, if my story is growth is hard, uncomfortable where I'm at, I'll never be that kind of person. Um, it's just, just too hard. I have tried and tried and failed and failed. So if that's what we give ourselves okay remember we have 11 million bits of data every second and i'm taking 40 of it so i have to sort and decide what's what am i going to keep and then i make maps based on what i choose to keep and, and when i say what i keep what is that it's my dominant thinking it's my beliefs i can't do that it's too hard there's no use i'm fine the way i am what does my brain do it will make that through for me because my brain has a negativity bias 
And my brain has a rightness bias. Brent's brain wants to make Brent right. Mm-hmm. And if those are my core thoughts and my beliefs, my brain's going to say, okay, buddy, I'm going to work on that for you. I'm going to confirm that. I'm going to interpret data through that frame. We're going to make that right for you. Is that right? Mm-hmm. It can be. It's a map. And I can I can navigate life through that map. Where does it get me? Well, probably not to a place, you know, that I really want to be. But that is a map that I am creating. And my reticular algorithm system is just doing what it's programmed to do. So if I conversely think of it differently, like you suggested, my mind starts looking for those things. And it finds things and it confirms things. And it's creative in ways that it would never have been, you know. Right. In, the, in the former scenario. Right. I think what you're describing is part of the ego in that our ego just holds on to these stories, right? It sees the yes. world the way it wants to see it. It sees us the way that we think that we are, the people in our life. It creates these stories and then thinks that that's the truth of the world. It thinks that that's the way that the world is. This is how I am. And so it really works against us as we're trying to create different things and see things differently because it loves to hold on to its ego story. It will, it actually has a death grip on our, our story and it does not want to give them up. But sometimes, sometimes we get pushed into places where our story just kind of crashes and burns and we don't have a choice. Yes. Which, Which often I think if you're lucky, that happens to you at least once in your life. And I say lucky because I think it's a blessing to be able to look at things differently. I don't think it's super fun to put your life back together when it feels like it's come crashing down around you. Right. And when yeah. everything's just kind of crashed and burned, not in it, not a pleasant experience, but as you move through it, that's where you just learn to love and grow and learn how to do things differently. Yeah. And I think that's, yeah. can, that can be a great blessing in your life. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we all have a comfort zone, right? Mm-hmm. And most of us, why do we call it a comfort zone? Cause it's comfortable. It's cozy. And I like it in there. Um, I often think of sort of the comfort zone Growth zone. Actually, I used to use another word for that, but I can't even remember what it is. But um, yeah, and it seems like so much of our growth is outside of that comfort zone. I wish it was otherwise. I wish I could grow leaps and bounds while staying comfortable um, and habituated towards certain things. Generally, that is not the case. And so sometimes it is hard life experience. But I think what's amazing about that, Tina, is that one of the great historians coined a little model, and I've always appreciated it. I think it has so much relevance. It's two words, literally. It's challenge, response. And he goes on to talk about, like, there's 30 different civilizations that no longer exist. We don't have Mayans anymore, Aztecs, or I think we even have Romans. And, and he talks about these civilizations that the challenges they faced, often of their own making, um, were insurmountable, at least at least they were not able to overcome it with their response, okay? And these civilizations are no longer. So we have the same things in our life every day. We have this challenge and response. 
And in so much of that is how to, how to respond to it. Um, and sometimes these are really difficult things to just drag us out of our comfort zone and require that we respond in ways that we never thought we'd have to. But I think what can really be glorious about that is it just teaches us stuff about ourselves. And we can reinvent ourselves. Um, we learn things about ourselves we never knew before and probably would never have learned if it wasn't in the crucible of extremity. You know, and we were placed in these in these hard places because it just requires more of us. And I think a lot of this is ultimately looking at yourself and say, well, what do I want to be? And why am I here? It gets down to some of those really big global questions. Mm-hmm. What is my life about? Why am I here? What am I trying to accomplish? And, and probably more important than all of those things is what do I want to be? Those are always the big questions for me. It's less about what I want to have and what I want to do. But what do I want to be? Um, and when I consider, you know, that, um, it certainly helps to ground me. And sometimes it gives me a different, per- in fact, always, it gives me a different perspective on some of the things I'm going through. And it helps me to look at self-development growth, as challenging as it may be, through just a different lens. Why do you think you have worked so much? You have been a person who has worked for decades on who you want to be. Why do you think you've done that? Um, you know what? I don't know. I mean, honestly, true confessions. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's based on some deep-seated insecurities that I had, you know? And so I overcompensated by trying to. I don't think that's the real driver, though. I think part of it is... And this may sound a little corny, but honestly, for me, I kind of see life as a a stewardship. I think a lot of us do. And everything's a metaphor for me. So sometimes I think about my life as a garden. And the Almighty gave me a little corner plot. And it's, it's, you know, we could liken it to the parable of the talents and so many other things. But it's it's like, what are you going to do with this? And so... I just see it all as a stewardship. And one day I get to come back and I get to present it all back. And I think understanding what's important to me, that's captured in a personal mission statement I have. And that's very guiding and very centering for me. But recognizing, you know, what I really want to be ultimately is very helpful to me, I think, in kind of constructing life. And I think it keeps me hungry. Um, I always loved it, you know, was it Matthew 5, when when Christ said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And then later he said, for they shall be filled with the Holy Ghost. But but I've often wondered that, how do we stay hungry? How do we stay thirsty? How do I really want my own development? How is it that I'm willing to pay the price to grow? Because there is a price to be paid. Without a doubt. We've talked about that before. Jim Rohn said, we all must suffer one of two pains. The pain of remaining where we are or the pain of change. I heard you say it a little differently in just a recent podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, uh, status quo or transition are two different kinds of pain. So how is it that we can accept the second? And I think a lot of that comes with vision and just recognizing for me that my life is a stewardship. My physical body is a stewardship. My mind is a stewardship. My relationships are stewardships. 
Stephen in Habit Seven, it was it sharpened the saw, right? And that's kind of the Japanese term for that is kaizen, and that just means continuous improvement. I don't think any of us, Tina, are on a staircase that just keeps climbing. Growth never looks like that. Tiny seasons, perhaps. Mm-hmm. It is fraught with danger. There are revolutions, there's cycles, there's rhythms, and sometimes we pause on plateaus for a time. But I think if we were if we were able to fix kind of a trend line to it, we hope we're kind of moving steadily upward, right? Well, he talked about that um, that we are mental, that we are social, emotional, we are physical, and we're spiritual beings. I mean that that's pretty common to our lexicon, I think. And each one of those is kind of a stewardship. And he talks about the second law of thermodynamics. I don't want to get too deep here, but the word is called entropy. And it's just that everything breaks down. Everything, all systems, and we are a system, all systems ultimately sort of deconstruct and go to a point of disorganization. So I think for me, just recognizing that and that it takes effort, certainly, um, to grow ourselves. But I don't know. I don't know about you. I suspect you're this way, too. I don't know if there's anything that turns my crank more than just feeling that I'm making some progress. And there's brain science to that. When I get check marks in my daily planner, you know what I get? I get a push of endorphins. Yes. I get happy chemicals. Uh And it tells my brain, that was delicious. Do that again. I get a little push of dopamine. Good things happen. So I don't know. There's There's a lot in there, but... I think part of it for me, I'm just, it, it's been an orientation that I've developed. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it feels, I think we've got to be careful of our narrative too. Because if it's like growth is laborious, this is hard. Oh my gosh, this is going to hurt. I just can't do this. Like I said, I mean, you know, our brains look for that, right? So if we try to change the narrative a little bit, it, and this can be really exciting. And 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 change is 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 a prerogative that I have, and I can direct it in all kinds of ways, and I can become something I have never been before. I can change myself in all kinds of conceivable ways. I mean, I don't know, but that lights me up just to even think that thought. I think that that desire to grow and change is actually a gift that we've been given in our very yeah. spiritual makeup. Um, as we came to this earth was just that desire to keep moving forward. That's why I think that there's pain in not growing that when we choose to remain stagnant and comfortable, there's also pain there. It's not, it's not just a super comfortable place to be when we don't see ourselves growing and developing because there is some pain there too. If we choose not to move into the pressure of growth. I think, though, that often we we have these kids, right? We went through our entire childhood. And, of course, there's new things that you do and ways that you grow as a child. There's so such outwardly apparent development in children. And children's childhood development has been around for many, many years, the concepts of the different mm-hmm. stages that children go through as they grow. Don't think that adult development, and in fact, I know this, it has not been around that concept that we continue to grow as adults and to develop as adults 
has only been around for a few decades. But it's really interesting why, (laughs) because when we have children, we're in our 20s or our 30s, and how much of your life is left to, to feel like I'm not growing during this time, that would be wasting so much of your life. So we, we see this in our kids. We invest in their development. We actually look for ways to help them develop. We, we put time and effort and resource, family resources into it, but we don't often put that into our own development. Um, but like JFF said, that's what love is. It's like we do that because we love our kids, because we want them to have a healthy, happy, developed, well-rounded being as as an adult, right? Yeah. We don't often see that in ourselves. And and I in the last part of this quote, she says it takes courage. When we invest in our own development, it takes courage because there aren't guarantees. And I would say I see this quite often in my clients. They're learning tools that I'm teaching them. Um, we're talking through things, looking at their the hard things that they're going through in their life. And they want me to tell them, okay, so if I do these things, then I'm going to get that result you're t- telling me I'm going to get. Like, I can't promise you anything, right? Mm-hmm. Because we don't yeah. know what's ahead of us, really. We just know, and I love that map analogy that you had. We just know that we're following a map. Right. And, if we, and if we keep following the map, in fact, I was telling a client this the other day. He's like, okay, so if I do this, I just want to know that I'm going to get to this certain destination. And I said, I want you to think of it like that's a half a mile away or at least a quarter of a mile away. Mm-hmm. You've got a flashlight in the forest. Which, how many feet ahead of you does the flashlight shine? Yeah. 10, 15, I don't know. How, how, how strong is your flashlight? But as long as you keep moving forward, the light keeps being illuminated in front of you. You just have to know the general direction that you're going. And then you just keep moving forward and taking the next step that you think you're going to, that you need to take. And I think that's all the guarantees that we have sometimes. And it's not even that we're always on the right path. Sometimes we're going to figure out we're on the wrong path, but we correct, we correct and we get back on the right path and we're going to find our way to that destination that we're looking for. But isn't it, I love how you talked about, you weren't looking at what am I doing? What am I working for? It was, who am I being? Because I think it's along that path that we discover who we're being is where we discover who we are. We accept the path that we're on, learn to love the path that we're on. And then as we continue down that path, that's when we develop into the being of the person that we want. Yeah, I love that. And and I like your metaphor. And this is like that, right? We walk to the edge of the light. And sometimes, you know, we take a few steps in the darkness and we expect the light to catch up. Um, but I love I love that concept. And I, and I love the fact that you sort of connect it to the love that we have for our children. So this other care. Um, I marvel at the sacrifice in the service that mothers give, particularly to newborns. You know, it's staggering. 
but we would do anything for our children. Um, and, and yet when it comes to ourself, I mean, often it's a very different sort of dynamic. And so when we're talking in this context, like Jennifer Finlayson Fife said, of, of kind of loving ourselves enough to invest in our development, perhaps that is one of the highest expressions of self-love is that I am willing to invest in myself. My greatest expression of love for my family is my willingness to sacrifice and serve and work on their behalf. And the same thing be said for my relationship with myself. Perhaps it is one of the highest forms of self-love to do the very same thing for me, to make myself to serve, to sacrifice, to work, to subordinate things I want now for the things I want eventually. And you know the amazing thing about this, it just, just came to my brain that as I do that, obviously I'm better for everybody else, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's so dualistic because I'm better for all the people around me as I become better. I mentioned this before, but it's that rising tide lifts all the boats. You know, that's a line from my own mission statement. Well, as I grow and become better, and it's sort of that corny, but it's the gift we give ourselves. And I like what you said about guarantees, because sometimes it is hard. If A, then B. If I do this, I will get this. Would the life was like that? But there are, you know, I think there's guarantees of growth. There may be not guarantees of the specific outcome that we want. I mentioned this before. I love this Nelson Mandela quote. He said, I either win or I learn. Yeah. I either win or I learn. Okay, well, maybe I don't get exactly to the outcome of the timeline that I wanted. But if I have eyes to see, I can see my learning and my growth and my development, right? So what a great act of just love, just to invest in, in a balanced way. That makes me better because, like I said, I came from a premise that we all want to be happy. And change requires, I mean, getting to be more happy, more content, feel more joy, all the stuff that we want. It's going to require change. And I'm not sure of a better investment than I can make than investing in myself to evolve along that process in ways that will pr produce beautiful fruits. I may not know exactly what they are when they're coming, but I think I can be really assured because it is the law of the farm, which we talked about back in the day, right? If I plant corn, I'm not gonna get pumpkins. If I plant, um, what do I like? I don't like many things. If I, if I, if I plant spinach, and I do it right, I'm not going to get weeds. I can be assured of that. There are natural laws in place here. If I work upon me in meaningful ways, I will grow. I will evolve. I will progress. And what happens in my brain, things change in my brain, like we talked about. Literally, I physically start to change my brain. It wires differently. I have new neural pathways. And all of that, you know, is is sort of under my influence. I think it's it's really amazing what the brain can do when you start studying how 
how flexible it can be and how yeah. elastic it is yes. as you start to change what it physically changes the formation in the neuropathways in your brain. It's really amazing. Yes. I think as you're talking um, and you're saying we all want happiness, right? We're all working towards this. I don't know that that's like a destination that we get to though. I think that we think that it is, we think so often, oh, if I just had this thing, if I could just attain this, if my life was like this, if I could make this much money, if I could have my a relationship like this, then I could be happy. I think that's a fallacy because I think that happiness is a choice as we go along that journey to what we are becoming. I don't think that the happiness is a destination, even though it's what we say, what we want. I think that's a rewiring of the brain thing. And what we're really working towards is a person who's greater, has greater capacity for happiness and love, right? Person who has greater capacity for like the uncertainty and anxieties of handling the hard things that happen in our life. I completely agree with that. And yeah, and and thank you. Because if I misrepresented that, I certainly don't want to. Because you're right. Sometimes we get this elusive. It's 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 the way it's the if if the if then, you know, or I'll be happy when when I get the college degree, when we have the child, when my children are out of the house, when I retire, when I and we're always chasing that. Yeah. I think some other podcast for a different time, and we can go into some of the sort of the things that I think really help to settle us. And so it gets to things like we hear a lot, and perhaps most of us aren't very good at it, like mindfulness and even meditation and working on our central nervous system in ways that allow us to be happy right now. Right. And that radical acceptance. And that doesn't mean we're that doesn't mean we're complacent or satisfied. We continue to work and grow and evolve. But we do it in a way that recognizes that I live in the present and I need to be happy in the present, whatever my circumstances. Yeah, well, the Carl Carl Rogers, which talks a lot about, you know, he was one of the pioneers of kind of radical acceptance. He just said the curious paradox is when I accept myself just as I am, then I can change. Okay, that's mind-blowing. Yes. I think that to so many people. That's going to be mind blowing because we think that we have to hate ourselves into changing and doing things differently. That's such a common, a common um, thought pattern that if I don't, if I'm not hard on myself, if I don't constantly tell myself I need to be better, then I'm just going to be complacent and I won't actually change anything. Yes. But that's actually not true. It is, no, and it's so antithetical or oppositional to growth. And I know it seems to be counterintuitive, like you said, right? Mm-hmm. No pain, no gain. I got to be hard on myself. You can't go easy. And, right. and honestly, and it, I think we owe so much, so much of the wisdom. I mean, even from the Buddhist tradition and some of these contemplative traditions that, it, that have learned so much about just that sense of present day living and focus and mindfulness and acceptance and things like that, that that really does open the gateway to real change, that resistance never, ever worked. 
Um, and we could, there's nuances there. We could expand that conversation, but, but essentially, no, it just really doesn't. And that layering on a pain, you know, we talk in the coaching circles about clean pain, dirty pain, and, um, and being angry at myself for getting angry. That doesn't help me to be less angry. Mm -hmm. um, it just never does. It never does. So if I can have self-compassion, and I think that's critical to growth, um, that I can just recognize, look, I'm a human becoming, and I'm stumbling along, but man, this is an exciting journey. And if we can recognize and celebrate the good things, and they're there, get your reticular activating system, get your brain looking for those things, and it will, and you'll find them. All the great things that are happening in your life. And then take a minute and breathe it in and connect to the feeling and just celebrate it. Better yet, celebrate it with somebody else. That creates neural pathways in the brain. And we start to rewire in awesome ways. Mm -hmm. As we do that over and over again. Yes. yes. Rewiring. Yes. Which it really is what you're talking about is exactly what Amy said at the beginning of this month where she said the love and acceptance piece in the middle of this no love grow model is what uh -huh. connects the awareness with the growth. We have yeah. to have that love and acceptance in the middle of that to connect those two things together in order to spiral up and to be able to grow. Yeah. If we're, if we're fighting against that, that is blocking us from the very thing that we need to access and able to feel better and to be able to grow. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. I listened to that podcast and I thought, you know, in my brain, it was this metaphor of a bridge, one bridging to the other. And I thought, you know, that's, that's it's probably not quite right. I think there's a significant overlap. And sometimes it's hard to see where one stops and the other starts because they're so intimately intertwined, like you said that it's hard to even tease them apart, that knowing yourself and loving yourself. Um, so, yeah, I think that's wonderful. I, I, I love the work of, and I've mentioned this before, but Howard Gardner came with the multiple intelligences theory, but he talked about one of the most important forms of intelligence is just self-knowing or intrapersonal knowledge, being able to understand some of the things that happen kind of in my thinking brain and my emotional brain and how that makes me just so much better able to kind of direct my life, you know, in purposeful sort of ways. Yeah. As we wrap it up, is there anything that we haven't covered that you might want to add to the podcast today? Um, you know, I've enjoyed the conversation a lot. I, I actually had some new thoughts. I love that. That's kind of that. That's kind of the acid test for me. If I have new thoughts or I combine thoughts in different ways, then I know I've really had a rich experience. So I've had that and I'm grateful for that. I'll add just a couple of little things really quick that I just think we need to recognize that personal growth just doesn't happen on its own. I think we sort of covered that, but my hair grows by itself. My heart beats all by itself. I haven't, you know, there's autonomous kind of things. There's, Hundreds of millions of biochemical processes every day in my body. I don't do anything <laughs> to direct that. 
That just happens. Personal growth doesn't necessarily happen that way. It's something that we have to take responsibility for. And just recognizing that it can be scary. And there's and we derive great strength and capacity as we face those fears. And we deal with the discomfort. And I know you talked about this in the last podcast, but the, you know, the art of being vulnerable and wading into uncertainty, you know. Mm-hmm. Um can be certainly a scary that is, to know. Yeah, yeah. And just being our own best cheerleader, recognizing some of these negative sort of narratives in your head and starting to change them. And don't stop comparing yourself with other people. That is so counterproductive. It really is. I I remember I gave a talk one time, and this was the title of the talk. We are not endeavoring to get ahead of others, but to surpass ourselves. And I love that little aphorism because it's never about other people. Mm -hmm. It's always about us versus us. So anyway, and be patient. You know, growth is incremental. Typically, it's undramatic. And it takes time. And and I have learned that there sometimes there are slow maturing crops, right? You know, if I if I plant tomatoes, I think they come up within the same season. Well, I have a little orange tree in my backyard, and I planted it some years ago, and I've nurtured it and done the stuff, and and now I get some oranges. And I had orange juice for my orange orange tree this year, but it took some years to get there. You know, even more so with apple trees and some things. So so have enough vision to recognize that. You know, um, some things take some time and you are growing in substantial and beautiful ways, even though you may not see the fruit. Right. 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 And just be accepting of the process. Accepting. Yes. I think, I think one of the main things that helps you to grow is to look at the situations that you've been given in your life and to learn to accept and come to love whatever those situations and circumstances are. Yeah. And I just love to think this is what a loving heavenly parents have given me on this earth to be able to grow into the person that they want me to become the person yeah. that they know that I can become. And when we love and accept the place that we are right now, that's when we can start doing something with it. That's when it becomes beautiful. When it just it becomes something that we can start celebrating and start looking forward to to help us grow in our own lives. Yeah. I think that's a great summary. Hey, thanks, Brent. I'm sure you'll be back again because we just love having these conversations. Yeah, I hope so. Thanks. I enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Brent. He and I love to have discussions, and we have a lot of them that don't ever get recorded. But he, I always gain so much when I talk to him, and I learn so much just from being around him. And so I just love having him on the podcast. His contact information is in the show notes, and if you want to get a hold of him, please reach out. He would love to hear from you. I like to think of this No Love Grow journey as kind of like climbing a mountain. I think there's a lot of similarities in like a hike up the mountain. And at the top of the mountain is this thing that we all say that we want in our lives, whatever that is. But it's the version of ourselves where we have self-confidence, where we are emotionally strong and resilient, 
And we can handle hard things with grace and still stay peaceful. When our family relationships are honest and deep and connected, and we really know ourselves and we let other people know the real us, not the pretend version of ourselves. I think that's at the top of the mountain. That's where we're all trying to go and what we're trying to get to. But at the top of this mountain is really this more developed version of ourselves. And that more developed version of ourselves also knows how to move in the world and get different results in, in just better ways because it, this, this version of ourself knows how to do those in a more grounded way. Now, what are the tools that will help us to get to the top of this mountain? They look like love, acceptance, compassion for ourselves, allowing the circumstances of our lives to be what they are without changing and still find happiness and peace in the middle of them. What is the path made of? It's made up of knowing who we are, loving and accepting that this is where I am and that's where I'm going and doing the things that promote that growth. I really think there's three main ways that we can climb this mountain and get to these things that we want. You know, there's probably more variations, but I'm just going to focus on these three main ways that we could climb this mountain to get to where we want. We could look at that mountain and we could see how rocky it is, and we could see how many rocks on that mountain we put there ourselves, how many obstacles we put in our own place by our own humanness and failings. And we have a lot of judgment for ourselves that we made that path so hard for ourselves. We recognize that it was us that did it. We can't point a finger at anyone because we did it. And maybe we look at it and we see how many rocks are on this path that were put by other people and other circumstances that were beyond our control. And maybe we get angry and we complain or we're sad that those rocks are there. We can complain and we can think and talk about how much we hate it. We can say, it's not supposed to be this hard. Other people are making it harder for me to climb this mountain, or I'm just not strong enough to get over those things in my own humanness to climb this mountain. I wanted to climb this mountain, but this isn't the path that I wanted to climb. I wanted it to be easier. It's supposed to be easier than this. I want to talk to you just for a second about clean pain versus dirty pain. I'm not sure if I've ever mentioned this before on the podcast, but I think it's really interesting in how we address pain in our lives. The pain of climbing this mountain. Dirty pain says it's not supposed to be this hard. This is not the way this path was supposed to look. So if that's what you're saying to yourself or some variation on that, you can still grow. You can still get up that mountain, but it's going to be slow going and it's going to be a miserable experience. Now, clean pain is walking that path and saying, you know what, this is my path. And even though it doesn't look like I want it to, or I thought it was going to, it's the path that I'm going to walk. It's so much easier to get up the path and to get to the top if this is how we approach it. And growth happens easily in this place. And we all have pain in our life so we can experience it in whatever way we look at it. Another way we can get up this mountain is we can look at the mountain and how high it is and we can say, nope, I'm out. 
Maybe I'll take a few steps here and there, but you know, it looks too hard and I'm really comfortable right here. So I think I will stay right here. Now, I don't think we get to choose a lot of the things that happen to us in our life, but we do get to choose what we do with them. And I really think that we've been given circumstances, hard circumstances by loving heavenly parents who give us these opportunities for growth. But we have to learn to accept them in order to receive the growth that comes through them. Because for sure, if we sit at the bottom of this mountain, there are things that won't happen. There's just things that we're going to avoid. And things can be different if we don't choose to climb the mountain, but that's not always the case. Because sometimes we get given a circumstance that we just don't have any choice but to deal with. Like, I don't get to choose if my spouse gets cancer and passes away. I have no choice there. I don't get to choose if my daughter decides to cut me out of her life. But I do get to choose the type of relationship I have engaged in with her in the past. And by me making choices in the present, I have power over that situation to a bigger degree than I sometimes choose to see. Now, if we decide to not engage in the hard things in our life, and we just say, no, I'm comfortable, I'm going to stay right here, that's too hard. Growth can happen. It's just slower. There's a third way that we can climb this mountain, and we can get to that thing that we want at the top. We can say to ourselves, this is hard. I can do it, though. And when it gets steep, when it gets really hard, maybe I'm going to slow down a little bit. Maybe I'm going to stop and take a drink of water, or I'm going to stop and catch my breath and just rest for a minute because I care about myself and I care about the way I'm climbing this mountain. I accept that this is the mountain I'm climbing, and I accept the rocks that I put there and that other people put there, and nothing has gone wrong because this is where I am. When we choose to climb the mountain this way, this is choosing to grow with love for our own path and where we are. These are the times when we grow the most. We all get to choose which way we climb this mountain. And remember what's at the top? The top is this version of ourselves where we have self-confidence, where we have self-mastery, emotional resilience. We can handle all those hard things with grace and peace. And our family relationships, are all of our relationships are more honest, deep, and connected. That's what's at the top of that mountain. We have to be willing to climb it. And how do we climb it? Well, lots of times we want to know that, hey, if I start going up this mountain, I want to make sure that that is waiting for me up at the top. We can't always be assured what exactly is waiting for us at the top, but we do know that there will be growth on the way. And so many of us want to help our family members The people that we love so much, we want to help them climb this mountain too. But if we haven't climbed it for ourselves, we don't even know how to do that. And just like I gave that piano lesson example at the beginning, if you're sending your child to someone who doesn't even know how to play the piano, that person cannot help them and teach them how to play the piano. Just like you can't help someone and show someone and teach them how to do this process if you have not gone through it yourself. That's why we focus on ourselves first. By focusing on ourselves, 
we have the ability and the potential to influence others to do this and to gain those same strengths for themselves. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Don't forget to go and download those two free trainings for you in the show notes. I have a great episode for you next week. If this love month has been hard for you to grasp onto or just hard to say, I don't know how to do that. And it's, I'm experiencing too many hard emotions because of the things that knowing myself has brought up for me. Then I want you to make sure that you tune in next week because I have a very special episode for you that will help you to do that very thing. So have a great week. I'll see you next time.